We've been uh, going through a series, uh, and we kicked it off recently, and it's called Heirs of Grace. And we're going to continue that tonight. Heirs of Grace is a series that uh, we've been going through. And I want to I read our series scripture. It's the main theme uh, for the month. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord tells us, and then we're going we're gonna to get into tonight's message. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. The Bible says this, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's good news tonight. Can you say amen? Now we call him Abba Father. Verse 16, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In verse 17, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now the Bible says that we are heirs. We're heirs of, of an inheritance. And, and what is that? That means that as we're found in Christ, as we're part of God's family and we're, we're found in Jesus Christ, we have something coming to us. We have many things coming to us. We look forward to one day that we'll be uh, with Jesus and, and, all, and Almighty God for eternity. Isn't that good news tonight? That there will be a day that we'll walk the streets of gold and we'll be in heaven for all eternity and we'll be able to walk in perfect fellowship with our Heavenly Father. There are blessings that you and I experience during this life here on earth that we could experience God's uh, uh, forgiveness. We experience his provision. We have needs uh, knowing that he's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And these are, these are blessings and benefits that you and I have as believers. Now, aren't you thankful for God's power in this place? Now, when we think of God's power, there are so many things that come to mind when we think of God's power. We think of the very beginning, when the Bible says that, that the world, that the universe was, was without form, it was void. And what happened? By God's power, by His Word, He said, let there be light, and there was light. His power was able to create something out of nothing. We think about the stories that we've learned in the Word of God in the Old Testament. We learned about the children of Israel who were in, in slavery and bondage there in Egypt and how God, uh, by His power, set them free because He gave Moses a command and used Moses' life to lead the people out of Egypt. And we, we learn in, in our Bible school or, or Sunday school or whatever it is, we learn about the plagues and God's power to deliver the children of Israel. We, we learn that the children of Israel were escaping Egypt and, and the, the enemy was on their tail and they were there stuck between the enemy and the Red Sea. And what happened? By God's power, He parted the Red Sea and they crossed. That's God's power. There are many other things we think about when we think of God's power. Perhaps you think about the mountain of Sinai when Moses was with the Lord for 40 days. He received the Ten Commandments and the children of Israel saw thunders and lightning and they heard great and terrible things. Moses came down from the mountain. His face shone as an angel because he was in the presence of the Lord. That's God's power. Or perhaps you think about God's power in the New Testament. You think of, 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 God raising, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead standing outside the, the tomb there and saying, Lazarus, come forth! Lazarus, who was dead four days, walked out of that tomb, out of that grave, brought back to life. 
We think of God's power. We think of Jesus rising from the dead, how the tomb was, was empty and the stone was rolled away. Many things. When we think of God's power, we think of many great things in the Bible. And these are all true. But you know what is also powerful, what is also great, is God's redemptive power. God's power and ability to forgive, to reach down out of heaven as a pure God and to save sinners such as you and I. Isn't that powerful tonight? See, when we think of God's power, we don't have to just limit it to, to the demonstration of his power and, and parting the seas and, and creating light. But we think of his power, we can also understand the power of his forgiveness, of his redemption. How when you, there was a day that you and I didn't think anything about God, that, that we weren't following God, we were all just concerned about living in sin, but God still had a plan for us. That is God's redemptive power. Can you say amen? And tonight, as we talk about heirs of grace, I want to preach a message entitled God's Redemptive Power. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says this, that he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. It's great news. It's amazing news tonight for you and I. And we could read this scripture and we can categorize it for the sinner, the one that is not here in church tonight, the one that is, that is, not, uh, is not streaming the service, but the one who is out there living a life of sin, who is out there seeing what kind of trouble and craziness they can get to. And yes, God's power is there for them. But believer, God's redemptive power is available for you and I. We can't count ourselves out. Although we're in Christ and we're serving God, you and I still need God's forgiveness each and every day. Can you say amen? We haven't arrived yet. Until we get to heaven, you and I each and every day need God's forgiveness, His power, and His redemptive power. So we can't count ourselves out. We could take advantage and benefit from this, this, this inheritance that you and I have. And you know how great God's power of redemption is? Whenever, when mankind threw it all away and mankind sinned, that God was right there to, to uh, enlist and enact his, his plan of redemption. And we learn back in Genesis chapter 3 how Adam and Eve, they walked in perfect harmony with God in loving relationship with Almighty God. Nothing to separate them. As face to face, they had fellowship with God. What happened is the devil does, he loves to pervert and destroy everything that's pure. So here comes the serpent and he, he beguiles Eve and then Eve shares it with Adam and they, they sin and they, they disobey God. What does the Bible say? God, they, they, they heard the voice of God walking in the, in, in the cool of the day and, and, and saying, Adam, where are you? See, what God desired was fellowship. Maybe he was there for his daily meeting and time of fellowship with Adam and Eve, and he desired that. And, and that's what God desires with you and I. He desires fellowship. He desires relationship with you and I. It wasn't Adam and Eve that, that went to, to seek after God after they sinned. No, what happens? They, they hid. That's what you and I do, right? When we sin, when we trespass against the Lord, it causes, it causes shame and it causes us to hide. But, but here was the graceful voice of God saying, Adam, where are you? They were hiding because they were ashamed. And when they confessed and told the Lord what happened, listen to what God said in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. It says, Then the Lord said to the serpent, 
Do we notice here that, that God right away didn't come and speak to uh, Adam and Eve that, about the issue? He addressed, he addressed the serpent. He addressed the Satan who, who caused this downfall. So he first addressed the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, as quick as Adam and Eve sinned, as quick as sin entered the world and death entered the world, we see that this is prophetic here in verse 15, that God was already enacting the plan of salvation to come to mankind. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And he's still talking to the enemy right here. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You know who he's talking about right there? He's talking about Jesus. This early on, God had already had a plan in place because sin came into the world, because death came by the loving forgiveness and grace of Almighty God. He, he already had a plan of salvation in place way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we could see here in Romans chapter 16 verse 20 in the New Testament, the, the Lord says, that The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. See, this is fulfillment right here. This is what happened. Jesus came to die for you and I so that we would have victory. So it's amazing. God's power is not limited to his demonstration of, of, of mighty works and, 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 and creation, all these things that, that he does. But tonight we're going to spend time in talk, talking about his redemption and the power of his redemption and his forgiveness. And tonight we're going to look at three people here. In the Word of God, we're going to look at three people, and we're going to see what God says about them and, and how they were blessed by God's redemptive power. And first, we're going to talk about Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a powerful man of God. He, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. God used him mightily. We read so many scriptures and stories about how great Paul was and all the things he did for the Lord. But there was a time that he wasn't known as Paul. He was known as Saul. And early on in the book of Acts, we, we hear about a man named uh, Stephen, and he was a man of God. He was serving God, doing great things for God. But he was persecuted, and he was killed for the cause of Christ. And we see here an account of when he died, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen here, he died, and in verse 60, he says, He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So here was a man of God that died. Now, where does Saul come into the picture, who, who uh, Paul was formerly? In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So here's where we hear about Paul. Paul, the great man of God who did mighty things for the kingdom of God. He was there. He was an actual witness of the killing of Stephen, this man of God. Now we know in law and legal terms and court proceedings and, and offenses that when you're an accessory, they can also throw the book at you. Isn't that right? That if someone is caught in, in the act of murder, but there were other people that were involved in it, and although may, they perhaps didn't pull the trigger, but if they were, had any part to do with it, if they had any part to play in that crime, they are an accessory and they are just as guilty. So here was Paul, Saul, 
who was a witness, and he completely backed up the killing of this man of God. And it doesn't end there. We look in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Again, we're learning here about Paul, who, who he was before Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Doesn't stop there in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. It sounds like the initiative and the effort that some people try to do in persecuting the church. Yes, even online, don't we see that? People dissing and downing the work of God and what God is doing. People making it their life's ambition to destroy the church to talk about the church, to post about the church, to critique the church, to complain about the church, to try to do this and that. Isn't that the day and age that we live in? We see it. It's no different here with what Paul was doing. He was uttering threats with every breath. So that was Paul. We're going to come back to him in just a little bit. And then now we're going to talk about someone who I think is one of the most colorful people in, in, in the Bible, one of the apostles, and this was Peter. We've heard many preachings about Peter. We heard many stories about Peter and how God's redemption was at work in his life. But with Peter, as opposed to, to Saul, we don't, we don't get a lot of glimpse of who he was in his younger days and how he was, you know, perhaps he was an enemy of God. We don't get a glimpse of that, but there were a few things that we, we hear early on about Peter. One, that he was the, the brother of, of, of Andrew in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We learn that he was a fisherman. In Mark 3, 16, we see the instance in the account when Jesus cho chose him as a disciple. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, we hear Peter telling the Lord, Please depart from me, for I am a sinner. So we get a glimpse. But what we see most... And what I see most when it comes to Peter is his offense that he committed when he was walking with the Lord. See, this is so key for you and I, church, because we have our before Christ life that God's pulled us out of, and thank God for that. But you and I, each and every day, as I said in the beginning, we need God's redemptive power. We need God's forgiveness. We need to still make altar calls. We still need to, to, to hit our knees and ask the Lord to redeem us, to sanctify us, to cleanse us. And this is the account that we have with Peter. See, he was walking with Jesus. He was an actual disciple. But what did he do? Well, when Jesus was about to be crucified and pay that ultimate sacrifice for you and I. He told his disciples that someone sitting here with me is going to betray me. And this is where the disciples said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I, Lord? And they, they all started to ask the Lord. And in Luke 22, verse 33, here we see the apostle Peter, so awesome, so powerful, so human, so willing. And here's what he tells the Lord in verse 33. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. He was so sure of himself, wasn't he? Isn't that how we are sometimes? So sure of ourselves. Sometimes we step into arrogance. Oh, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. I will never go down that road, or, or, or that will never happen to me. And I think Peter was here in this, this state. 
And he even went on to say, Lord, even if the rest of these guys do it, even if the rest of your disciples do it, I will never do it, Lord. He was sure of himself. But in verse 34 of Luke 22, it says, but Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that, that you even know me. Not once, not twice, but the Lord saying three times. Three times by tomorrow, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you ever knew me. And I'm sure when Peter heard this, he probably thought, no way would I ever do this to you, Lord. And isn't that how it is with us sometimes, right? We're, we're, we're so sure of, of, our, of our step, of our foothold. We're so sure, but, but sometimes we need God's redemptive power because of the mistakes that we can make. So we read about Peter's denial not once, twice, but three times. And in the account is in Luke 22, verse 60. There was Jesus being betrayed. He was on his way to court, and, and he, was, he was starting to be persecuted. And he, he was on his way basically to his death. And Peter was, was afar off. He was kind of in the area, but he wasn't so close enough to be noticed, but he was a little far off. And, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, they started to recognize him. And they asked Peter, hey, you look familiar. Aren't you one of the disciples? No, that's not me. You got me mistaken for someone else. A second time they asked him, aren't you one of the disciples? No, no, not me. And the third time in verse 60, they asked him again, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And immediately when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And listen, in verse 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked to Peter, looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. And he was reminded of the Lord's words, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Here was a man who thought that he was super disciple, that he could never fail, that he could never do wrong. And he proclaimed this to the Lord. He promised the Lord, I won't ever betray you. I'll even go to, to prison with you. And he was crushed. How many of us have been in that place? We were sure of ourselves, and perhaps you're in this place. And there was a time when you were you were on the mountaintop, and you were you were walking in in complete fellowship with the Lord. But perhaps because of whatever situation and decision, you fell away. But here you are tonight in the house of God. God's redemption is here for you. God's power of restoration is here for you. Praise God. Praise God. That's good news tonight. And when you think about denial, there are a few things that are worse than a denial like that. There are mistakes, right? There are, there are hang-ups. There are sins that people commit, and, and sin is sin. I understand that. But there's something about denying that you know the Lord Jesus. This was so tragic for Peter because Peter wasn't just anyone. He was, he was even part of the inner circle of the disciples. He, he knew the Lord, I believe, better than, than anyone. Peter was the one that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, Lord, bid me to come and I'll, I'll come out to you. And he, yes, he walked on water, although it was not for a long time. He walked on water. He was there when he saw the Lord transfigured in all of his glory. And how could he? How could he deny the Lord? 
believer, we have to be careful when, and Paul talks about this, when we think we're something and we're beyond mistake and we're beyond hang-ups and trips and, and we're beyond all these things, let us walk circumspectly, as the Bible says, being sure of our footing as, as, and let it only be found on Christ because apart from Him, we are all susceptible to failure. Few things are worse than denial. Imagine in a marriage, for example, a loving relationship with a husband and wife. They've committed their lives to each other. They've committed, they've committed. They said, for better or for worse, I will, I will, I will live to the end with you and I will always be close to you. And, and imagine if, if a husband or a wife was approached and say, hey, are you married? Aren't you married to so-and-so? And no, you take your ring off and you hide and say, no, I don't know them. What an offense. What a betrayal. What a slap in the face. And that's what happened here. This was the severity of what Peter did. And look how much more severe it is. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 26. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Peter knew this. Peter knew the truth of this scripture. So imagine how he felt when he denied the Lord three times. So we learned about Saul, Paul. We learned about Peter. And next, we look at Jonah. Was a man who ran from God's instruction. Jonah was, was a, a prophet God called to, to go and speak to the town of Nineveh. He ran from the very command of God. And we see the account in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Short and sweet. God's command, there was no question about it. There was no gray area here. God told him to go and do something. Get up and go to the great city. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah was entrusted with the very word of God. He was commissioned with the task of going to warn this city about the coming judgment. You and I might say that, yes, if we heard the Lord's clarity like that, then we would waste no time and we would go and we would do exactly what the Lord told us. But Jonah heard the voice of God. He heard what God told him, how clear it was. But look at in verse 3, the very next verse. Do you think that Jonah said, yes, Lord, I'm going to go and, and, and let, let's go do it? No. In verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship. Leaving for Tarshish, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He said, nope, I'm going this way and I'm going to Tarshish. His hearing wasn't bad. He understood exactly what God wanted him to do, but he was disobedient. How many times has God spoken to us and said, do this, do that. Pick up the phone and do this. Go here. Call this person. See, we can't count ourselves out here. These, these were, were prophets. These were people of God, great and mighty men. But you know what they were? They were human. 
They made mistakes and they disobeyed. And here we see that Jonah disobeyed God. So then the account, if you're taking notes, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but we understand the story how God prepared a great fish. Jonah was swallowed up at sea by this fish, and he was in the belly of this fish for three days, and he finally came to his senses and said, Lord, save me. Forgive me. He saw the error of his ways. And then in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So we have Saul, who was accusing the church, was killing prophets, who made it his life's ambition to hurt the very church of Christ. Then we see Peter, who walked with the Lord, but he betrayed the Lord. His loving Father, his Savior, who came to heal and help humanity, who came to save and do nothing but good, Peter denied him, and Jonah had clear instruction from the Lord to do this, but he decided to do that, and he disobeyed. But tonight, we're talking about God's redemption, right? So we're going to look now on God's powerful redemption, how it played out in the life of each and every one of these, these folks. Now we look back at Paul, and we look at how, what terrible things that he did, and, and how he accused the church, and how he was persecuting the believers but we understand the story that, that Saul was on his way to, uh, to Damascus and he was there and he was, he was knocked off his high horse by, by God, by a, a revelation from heaven and he was blinded. And we see here in Acts 9 verse 11, the Lord said, and he, the Lord was talking to a man named Ananias, the Lord said, go over to a straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So we get the picture here. Here was this man of God named Ananias. And the Lord told him, I want you to go and pray for Saul. Okay? But, look in verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Do we get the picture of what's going on here? God has a plan to save Saul, and, 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 but Ananias was, was just here. He got the, the instruction from the Lord to go pray for this man. But Ananias had to educate the Lord and say, Hey, let me remind you of something, God. Have you heard about this man, Saul? He said, he said But Lord, have you heard? I, I've heard about this man. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he, he didn't stop there. He went on to verse 14. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So he was downloading some information to God because God, I think he forgot about that. He probably thought. He wasn't aware of that. So he had to tell God, this, this Saul, he's a terrible man, Lord. I'll go praying for anyone else, but not Saul. He is a terrible, terrible man. But look what happens here in verse 15. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. At that moment, when Ananias heard, well, he's going to suffer a little bit for the Lord, okay, I'll go and tell him. Maybe, just maybe. And here we see the redemptive work of God. 
See, what this shows this church is that no one is too far gone to not be used of the Lord. And I want to speak and encourage you for perhaps for your family that you've been praying for. Perhaps there is that family member or that coworker or that friend or, or that neighbor. And, and you may think that they're the worst of the worst, just as Ananias thought about Saul. But God's plan of redemption and power is at work. And he desires to save, to save each and every person in this world. The Bible says that he desires that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the word of God for your family member. That's the word of God for your loved one. When it seems like all hope is gone and, and they just strayed too far, I have good news for you. If God did it for Saul, if God redeemed Saul, then God can redeem your son, your daughter, that one is, that is lost in, in the highways and byways right now. God has a perfect plan for them, and he desires to save them. Continue praying for them. Continue loving them. Continue sharing the word of God with them because God can do it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians. He's writing to the Ephesian church. He's been saved. He's been converted. In Ephesians 3, 3 7, he says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Here was the change that took place in Saul's life. And we know what happened with, with Paul. We know how great he was, but he had a story, and he experienced God's redemptive power, the power that is available for you and I, that is available for our loved ones. He was redeemed. And let's not forget about Peter, our colorful disciple, Peter, who, who did so many great things for God, but he, he fell flat on his face, and he denied the Lord. And we understand the story how as Jesus died and, and, and he died and he rose from the dead, the Bible says that, that the disciples, they went back to what they knew and they went back to fishing. God called them to win the world and become fishers of men, but, but, they, but they didn't have their Lord and they went back to what they knew and they went fishing. But here was Jesus. He came on the scene. He met them at the beach and he called out to them. And what does the Bible say? It says that Peter, he jumped in first. He jumped into the water and he swam to the shore so that he can meet and see his Lord and Savior again. And what did Jesus do? Because Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, he said. Feed my sheep. He asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. And then in John 21, 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Here was the man who denied his Lord and Savior, three, not once, but three times. But God's plan was still intact for him. Believer, my brother and sister, perhaps if you're streaming online, you may feel that, that you may have made a mistake or that you've, you've denied the Lord in your own way and, and you've turned your back on Him. But God's plan, if I could tell you, if I could encourage you tonight, God's plan and His desire to do something great in your life and to use your life is still intact. It's still intact. Why? Because the Bible says that there is hope among the living. And if you're in this place, if you could hear my voice, or if you're watching online, you could hear my voice. As long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. You're not too far gone. You haven't messed up too much where the Lord can't forgive you, where he can't restore you, where he can't accomplish his will in your life. All you have to do is say yes. 
See, Peter could have ended it. He could have turned his back and he could have ran away and, and, and been nowhere to be found. But he ran to the Lord when he saw him. And the Lord's redemptive power was there for him. God's patience. Man, God, to be patient enough to ask him, not once, twice, but three times, do you love me? He gave him another chance. And what about Jonah? Jonah, who was rebellious, who went the other way, the complete opposite direction that God told him. Jonah, who was swallowed by the fish. Jonah, who, who cried out to the Lord, and the fish spit him up. And, and, and we see here in, John chapter, uh, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. That's God's grace right there. God would have been justified to just, just kill Jonah or cast him off. Oh, you, you denied me one time or you disobeyed me one time. That's all that you get. But we see here God's redemptive power. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. He obeyed. He obeyed. Perhaps the command of the Lord has come to your life. Perhaps you put it off. But if I could encourage you tonight, don't let another day pass that you put off your, your obedience to the command of God, whatever that means for you. Again, it may be as simple as, as a conversation. It may be as simple as a phone call. Or taking that next step in, in, in the direction of forgiveness and restoration for someone that has hurt you or have offended you. Perhaps it's forgiveness. Perhaps it's restoration. Whatever it means to you, God gives us a chance to make it right. And God used Jonah's life powerfully. God's a redemptive God. God has a plan for you and I, church. And I want to close with this last scripture tonight in Hebrews chapter 9 as we see the power of our Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for us. You know, back in the Old Testament, people of God, the children of God, they had to sacrifice, make blood sacrifices according to the law of the Lord. They had to sacrifice bulls at the altar and lambs, and they had to, there, there was so much ceremony in it. And each and every year they had to come together, and they had to make these sacrifices so that they could be forgiven. But we here learn in, in Hebrews chapter 9 about the final sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made for you and I to fulfill the law. In verse 11, the Bible says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. If I could have the worship team make their way up. He secured our redemption forever. In verse 13, Listen to this. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For By the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, did we see here in verse 14 how it says that the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds? 
See, this is where the old law fell short. Every year that they would have to come back and, 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 and sacrifice these, these goats and these bulls, and, and according to, the, to obedience to the Lord, they did it, but they were reminded of their sin each and every year. But the beautiful truth about the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ is that his blood paid that sacrifice for you and I once and for all. And it, and it, goes, it goes beyond that. It goes into clearing our consciences. Having a clear conscience is such a powerful thing. We know what it is to have a, a guilt complex, right? We know what it is to feel inner guilt and, and turmoil for, for betraying the Lord. We understand what that, what that is. But the blood of Jesus can cleanse you so purely, so powerfully that your conscience can be, can be cleansed as well. And that's so powerful, church. We have to walk with the Lord with, a, with a, a pure conscience, with a clean conscience, and that comes by the blood of Jesus. Perhaps you're in this place. You may have made mistakes. You may have backstabbed. You may have betrayed. You may have turned your back on the Lord or those that love you. You know, God's power is so great, and he's, he's so great to accomplish everything and anything, and he's so great to remember everything. But you know what his love causes him to do? His love causes him to make a decision to forget. Not because his power is limited, not because he's forgetful, but because he loves us so much that the Bible tells us that he'll take our sins and he'll cast it into the deepest sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. My brother and my sister, perhaps there are things that you're wrestling with. I encourage you tonight, give them to Jesus. He's not going to use it to, to, to beat you over the head with it and to remind you each and every year and each and every altar call, oh, do you remember what you did? No. He's going to take that from you and he's going to cast it into the deepest sea of forgetfulness because of his love for you. And you know what that tells me? That if God has forgiven me, if God has forgotten about it, then I can for forget about it. Can you say amen? I can forget about it. It doesn't have to hang over my head anymore. It doesn't have to hold me back. You're now free to do and accomplish everything that God's called you to do. See, when we have a guilty conscience, it holds us back. It causes us to live in the past. It causes us to feel unworthy and not, uh, not worthy to, to accomplish and do, do what God's called us to do. But believer, it's there for us. The blood of Jesus is there to cleanse us from everything in Jesus' name. Verse 15, as we close, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they have committed under that first covenant. Amen. That is good news, church. That is good news. That's good news for the unsaved in this place and we're going to address that in just a moment but it's good news for the believer in this place we need God's help each and every day his forgiveness if you make a mistake don't throw in the towel don't say oh I'm just too washed up I made one too many mistakes what is it worth I'm just going out and I'm going to forget it run to the loving arms of God not because you're taking advantage of the grace of God, because you're taking it. We, don't, we, we can't do that. We're not supposed to do that. But we run to God in sincerity and say, Lord, 
forgive me, Lord. Give me a chance. Give me one more chance. God, change me. Give me the strength to change and to make these corrections in my life so that I won't do that anymore in Jesus' name. So tonight as we prepare for our altar call, we learned about Saul. God changed his name to Paul. God did many great things. We learned about his past, but how God's redemptive plan was in place for his life. We learned about Peter, who rejected the very one that came to save him, the one that provided for him. God's redemption was there for him as well. And we learned about Jonah, who was disobedient, but God gave him a second chance. And in each one of these things, church, we can all learn from. That God's here to forgive us. God's here to change us. He's here to forgive us, and he's here to accept us and continue his plan in our life. You received that this evening. Let's give God praise in this place. Father, we're thankful, Lord God, for your plan, Lord. We're thankful for your grace, for your mercy in this place, God. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord God. We thank you for your plan, Lord God, that is still intact for your people, Father God. If we could have every head bowed, every eye closed tonight.